Matthew chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there. We're going to continue on the series we started. Uh, do, you know, don't be fooled. Uh, we talked about this, the deception of the enemy. We, we, we mentioned Galatians chapter 6 and how it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Amen? If he sows to his sinful nature, he's going to reap destruction. If he sows to the Spirit, he's going to reap eternal life. And a very simple principle. And so we began to look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and how he was led by the Spirit and he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness after he was hungry. And uh, last, uh, I guess last week, a couple weeks ago, we discussed the fact that uh, the challenge was to, to appease his fleshly desires of eating, turning those stones into bread so that he can appease himself outside of the will of the Father. He rebuttaled it with, with Scripture and by uh, understanding his mission and explaining those things to the devil just in a simple, simple sentence. And we saw where the devil fleed from him. Left, change the subject. How many of us like it when that happens? Change the subject, but also, unfortunately, we get to see where he comes right back. So uh, that is a kind of a typical process in our lives. And I want to encourage you to, I guess, I guess it's an encouragement. I don't know. Be encouraged. Um, the devil will come back and tempt you again, I guess. I don't know. Uh, don't think that you're above temptation. And uh, so our enemy that we're dealing with is very relentless. But how many of us know our God is way more powerful? Amen. Amen? So Matthew chapter 4, we're, we're to verses 5 through 7. We're going to spend our time on this morning. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time just pulling some truths out of this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to open our eyes again to the mentality of the enemy that we deal with and the power of our God. And the interesting thing is, the first thing we see here that's interesting is the fact that the devil took him somewhere. That's hard for us to grasp, hard for us to imagine or think about that God would allow the devil to take his son anywhere. But the fact of the matter is this, it's not that he was taken by force, it's not that the enemy come up to him and enticed him away with a desire to sin or anything like that, he simply went with him. And you say, to church? Well, yeah, to church. He took him to church? How many of you know devils have come to church too? I know it's not anybody in here. It's everybody from the first service, okay? We'll blame... No, I'm just kidding. The enemy made a way for it. He, he walked with him. And let me just tell you that be sure, just because you're not feeling an overwhelming temptation to sin against God at this moment, it doesn't mean that it's not going to take place at some point down the road. There's an enemy that's looking for a prime opportunity, the next opportunity that would be the best opportunity to get you to stumble, to get you to sow into your flesh and to reap destruction. This whole walking with, Paul kind of shed some light on it. You remember that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I, do, I don't want to do, I do. And he goes through all that stuff. You guys remember that really confusing passage of Scripture? At the end of it, he says this in verses 21 through 23, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Stop! When I want to do good, what's right there with him? Evil. You, but wait a minute, Pastor Bob. This is the Apostle Paul, which, by the way, I still don't have shoes on. 
I left my shoes somewhere when I did the baptism service. So he's like, wow, they're gone. Hey, welcome to Youth Ministry 101. That's what I, just everybody take your shoes off and get comfortable. Unless you got stinky feet, don't take your shoes off. <laughs> so the thing is this, he says, evil is right there with me. Paul the apostle, who God has dwelt inside of him, dwelling inside of him, flowing through him, he's right there with him. You mean that evil's right there with him too? Yes. He's right there with him. Pastor Bob, how does that apply to me? I'm going to tell you what it applies to you. That just because you have the Spirit of God inside of you, like we said last time, it doesn't mean it puts you on some new level that you're never going to experience temptation. That as you walk and as you pursue God, be aware, because there is an enemy. There is an enemy that wants to devour you. And he's there to speak lies to you. And Paul says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. You see, folks, we live in fallen flesh. Yes, our spirit man is redeemed. Yes, there's a redemption of our bodies that's coming someday. But until then, we still have a body that's susceptible to temptation. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Hey, he's talking about all of us, amen? That's just the way it is. We have deity inside of us. We live in fallen flesh that's groaning, according to Paul in chapter 8 of Romans, groaning to be redeemed at some point. Secondly, we look at the location of the temptation. The devil took him to the holy city, the city's spiritual, and took him to the highest point of the temple. The devil took Jesus to church and tempted him. And not only the church, on top of the church. He took him to the highest point of the church. And folks, I'm going to tell you this. There's another truth about temptation. Just as divine favor will not keep us from being tempted, neither will a divine location. Temptation is not a geographical issue. Temptation is not an environmental issue. Now, the type of temptation may be environmental. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Bob? The temptation that you're dealing with at the bar down at the tavern here on a Saturday night may be a different temptation than you experience at church, but I'm going to tell you what, there's still a temptation at both places. Some of us have got to sink in, well, pastor, we can't cuss at church. We don't cuss at church. We don't say naughty words at church. There's, there's been a time or two I've wanted to say a naughty word at church. People make you mad. They rub you the wrong way. They say things. They gossip. They slander. And you just... Every family's got a little bit of dysfunction in it. Amen? We all got some dysfunction in us. Every... If you don't believe me, come to my house for Christmas and you'll see. We all do. But I'm going to tell you, church, there is no location. Now, 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 temptation is not an environmental thing. It will happen. Doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter what you're doing, if the enemy sees a place that he can have a foothold to where he can get you to sow into your flesh, he will do it and he doesn't care what it is. Pastor, you can't cuss at church, you can't do this at church. I had a friend one time come to the Pinewood Derby years and years ago when I was a ranger leader. And, and they said, you, you, you did tell him he can't cuss at church, right? I said, no. They said, why not? I said, because why should I ask him to be anything other than what he is? I, I, 
You're not, not in church. What are we going to do? We conforming people to some standard or we conforming them to Christ? Oh, I just lost half of it. You have it right now. Pastor Bob wants people to cuss in church. <laughs> no, I don't want to raise up hypocrites. We don't want hypocrites. See, horrible things happen to church. If you don't believe me, go into the Word of God, read, and look at, uh, look at the life of Eli, the high priest. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Remember them? And they pursued their own wills, their own desires, and they were having uh, adulterous affairs with the women at the temple that worked there at the, the, the tabernacle. And they were stealing the choice meats and the choice foods from uh, more than what they should have for the priesthood. So, so we realize that on all levels that it doesn't matter where you're at, there's still temptation. The temptation may look different, it may sound different, it may be a little bit different in its content, but there's always going to be temptation. Even Adam himself was tempted and fell in the garden of God. Folks, it doesn't matter where you are. You are not above temptation, even if you are sitting, standing behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning. This also was a public temptation. It wasn't private. Now, we saw last time where Jesus had been tested in the wilderness and had been told, you know, turn, turn the bread Turn the stones into bread. But this one's a public one. How many of us know there's a difference between public and private temptations? Just me? That's what I thought. I'm the only one who understands that. Here's the difference between a public and a private temptation. A private temptation is usually one of those things that if anybody found out about it, it would hurt your reputation. You're afraid that people will look at you and say things or think things about you if they found out about this secret temptation. Public temptations are different. Public temptations are self-exalting. Public temptations are only those things that you will do in front of certain people to gain praise and approval and appreciation and where your uh, reputation is built up. So Satan tried privately with Jesus, and now he's trying publicly. Let me just say something to you. At some point, we have to, as believers, make sure that our private lives are the same as our public lives. Can I get at least one amen in the quiet church today? It's like this thing's messing around. It's like, there's a big tub in the church. It's like nobody can get past it. Look. Oh, pastor's talking. Look. It's not even shiny. If it had jewels around it, I'd really expect that, but there's no jewels on it today. Public temptation allows us to think of gaining the worship and approval of others. Young people, what is it that popular people will do to get popular? In our culture today, what is it that's all over TMZ and all over the, 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 the ads and everything else in the stores? It's all that which is sinful where people are looking and wanting to find out what all the latest fads are and what people are doing. It's usually those things that we're, they're doing to try to gain approval and worship of people. And folks, in our culture today, it's not usually stuff that's pure, is it? See, public sin carries with it a totally different purpose than private sin. Even this, all of this is happening at the temple. And what is the temple? The temple is a place of beauty. It was a place of wonder. It was a place where people gathered to worship God. It was a place that had the full mission of Jesus displayed. It had the commandments in the ark, in the Holy of Holies. It had People would come in there and you could walk into... Excuse me, the holy place, you would see the table of showbread over here. 
and, and the bread representing Jesus Christ, the table that's made out of acacia wood overlaid with gold. You see the, uh, you, you see the, um, the lamp over here to the other side where it's, it's burning night and day. It's a representation of the Holy Spirit. It's a representation of Jesus Christ. It's acacia wood overlaid with gold. And there's oil burning through it, representation of all this stuff. All of it's pointing to Christ. All of it's pointing to God. The table of incense and worship, again, overlaid, uh, natural, overlaid with gold, representing deity and the intertwining of the two together. Everything pointed to Christ. You go out into the courts and you see out here where, where you have the uh, altar and you have the basin and all the stuff that's out here and ready and you see animals slaughtered. You see the bloodshed of the innocent for the sake of that which was guilty. And you see all of these things happening out here in the courtyard taking place and, and it's all pointing to Christ. And now Jesus is at the top of the temple of all of this stuff that points to Christ and the devil says, you know, reveal yourself to them here now. You see, Jesus was already revealed at the temple. The plan of the Father was laid out in the law of who Jesus was. He didn't need to exalt himself and throw himself down. He didn't need to. It was a plan of the enemy to throw off what the Son of God was sent to do in this place. This place, historically speaking, was Mount Moriah. The place where the Jews knew was, it was where Isaac, Abraham's only son, laid himself down at the word of his father so that he would be a worthy sacrifice. Folks, everything about this place said sacrifice. Everything. And the enemy said this, and I want us to get this, and I'm going to repeat it several times. You don't leave this place without understanding this today. The lie of the enemy is this. Exalt yourself. Fulfill God's will for your life. But do it without the sacrifice. Do it without the ugly stuff. Do it without the suffering. Do it without the pain. Reveal yourself to these people in a very exalted way, in a way that goes against the plan of the Father. Unfortunately, church, the church can be a place of self-exaltation rather than self-abasement, self-denial, self-sacrifice. Leaders have the temptation, and even believers have the temptation to exalt themselves, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the community, whether it be before others, whether they have great giftings, rather than exalting Christ. For this reason, high places are slippery places. Anybody ever fall off a roof before? Is that just me? Tom, did you do it? Anybody else? Anybody else fall off a roof? Nobody? Okay, well, it was a bad mistake. I had, I had a 12-foot ladder. and Yeah, Tom's going, yeah. It's always a bad mistake to fall off of a roof. High places aren't fun to fall off of, folks. I had one foot on the highest step of the ladder and the other foot on the roof, and I thought it was going to be okay. It wasn't. High places are slippery. It doesn't matter if it's in the world or if it's in the church. Those who lead, those who operate in supernatural giftings, they are targets for the enemy. Scripture shows us this in a picture as Jesus told the disciples they would all fall away on account of Him saying, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. How many times have we seen it happen? It's almost getting to where it's a sickening story in our culture nowadays. 
Another minister found embezzling money. Another minister found in a, an adulterous relationship with his secretary. I just want you to know something. I'm going on vacation in two weeks with both my secretaries. <laughs> yeah, think about it. My sister and my mother-in-law. So, you can, if anybody asks, say, my pastor went on vacation with both his secretaries. And his wife allowed it. So how many times have we seen horrible things that ministers do that cause churches to be scattered and people left confused and dazed and wondering what just happened? This, this, this ranking, this, this climbing our ladder in our culture is something that is so common anymore. Our culture has, has taken on some level uh, church from being church. It's now the new avenue of success. It's now the new avenue to get your best-selling book out or your best uh, recorded album and start selling some t CDs. We didn't make it in the secular world. Let's go ahead and write some religious-type songs, see if a Christian label will pick us up first and make some money. Our culture is all about now constant progression and becoming a CEO of a great corporation called the church. This mentality we have today in our culture is that, that it's not about the sacrifice. It's all about advancement and it's about me. And I'm not going to say every single one of them is. There's a few that are out there doing them, but folks, we still have to remain aware and to make sure that we're living as we're supposed to. And this is why a new convert, according to Scripture, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, a new convert should not be an overseer, a pastor, or a deacon because they can exalt themselves in that position and fall under the same condemnation of Satan himself. What am I talking about here? I'm, I'm going to give you two examples. We have two options in life as a believer. We can follow the avenue that Christ has laid out for us, or we can follow the path of the enemy. We can sow to the Spirit, or we can sow to the flesh. Here's the two options. We have the model of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11, through 11, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Everybody say servant. servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the first option. Following Jesus, humbling ourselves and not thinking too highly of ourselves. That's a tough one here in America because I, I think pretty highly of myself too many times. For example, yesterday I, we were at Target yesterday and we got behind this sweet little lady who had about a cart half full of stuff. And as I stood there, April said, we chose the wrong line. And I said, oh, it'll be all right. And I looked up, and the lady had rung up over $230 worth of stuff. And then she started pulling out coupons. And I said, we picked the wrong stinking line. <laughs> beep, beep, coupon after coupon. And then she just kept pulling them out. Beep, beep, beep. And at first, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I saw the number dropping. I went, wow. Do you know how much she left? She paid 20 some dollars, $22 for 200 and some dollars. April said, we're going to start couponing. At first, I was like, I don't care. I'll make everybody mad. I said, look at this, yo. 
But we exalt ourselves. We get behind somebody in line. We think we got to be up front. We get mad when we're driving the cars, when we're in the store. It doesn't matter what it is. We exalt ourselves so much in our society. And the problem is, is that we have forgotten that we need to humble ourselves and be like Jesus and realize that we shouldn't demand everything for ourselves all the time. Because here's the other option. Isaiah 14 Verses 13 through 15, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Here's our two choices. God will cast down so that he can raise up. He will find the downcast, amen, and raise them up and exalt them. But our enemy, the adversary, our devil, our devil, the adversary, he wants to raise up so that he can cast down, so he can destroy. And this is when I get afraid of ministers and people in leadership or in the Christian world that are afraid to disciple and raise up other people. You say, why is that? Because they've become possessive about their position and they get intimidated by other people and they see other people as a threat when they start growing in their faith or they start having great giftings or if they maybe have better giftings than the minister that's over them and so they start getting afraid and they want to push people down and they want to hold them down and they never develop and raise them up because they have become possessive, possessive about their position and they don't ever want to give it up. Folks, I'm not going to be here forever. Pastor Tim's not going to be here forever. Pastor Carla's not going to be here forever. At some point, somebody else has got to be raised up. Amen? Amen? And when I see somebody that gets defensive about those kinds of things, I see somebody that has already believed the lie of the enemy and has exalted themselves to a godlike status and says, nobody's going to move me. When I look in and I see somebody in that situation, I see Saul, King Saul. King Saul who hated David and wanted to destroy David, and wanted to keep David down because he knew God's anointing was on him, and David was going to take his position. King Saul, who who had the Spirit of God pulled from him because of disobedience, who said, "But, but first, instead of repenting, say, please, Samuel, take me out and honor me before the people. He had exalted himself, and he had developed himself to enjoy that praise. Folks, if we take that path of self-exaltation, we will take a path of destruction because self-exaltation is full of the word self, which means we're going to sow to that self, which is that sinful nature. And that sinful nature will produce a crop and eventually we will reap destruction. Look back at verse 6 of Matthew 4 with me, if you will. If you are the Son of God, He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and they will lift you up. Two things here. The focus of this test is, is first of all, I want to point out something about our enemy. He told Jesus, He commanded Him once again to throw Himself down. We we, We need to remember that the influence and the power of our enemy is limited. It's limited to persuasion only. Hear me. It's limited to persuasion to get us to cast ourselves down. The problem is, is that most of us will hear his lies and then we throw ourselves into the sin. Say, Pastor Bob, the enemy, he does this, he does, listen to me. 
child of God, full of the Holy Spirit, saved, redeemed believer, hear me, the Father loves you. The enemy does not have free reign with your life. Hear me. He does not have free reign with your life. But what he can do, it may feel like it sometimes, amen? We've been through that. feels like it sometimes, but he doesn't. And the biggest thing he can do to you is lie to you and to get you to cast yourself into sin. And then we say, the devil made me do it. He made you do it? If Satan had had the power to cast Jesus down, he would have. But the problem was, is he didn't want to just kill Jesus. He wanted Jesus to sin so that he could not be a worthy sacrifice for our salvation. The devil didn't convince Jesus of the Father's harshness, so now he's trying to get Jesus to test the Father's goodness. Look back again at that verse. Throw yourself down, for it is written. The second half of it here. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up. He wanted Jesus to throw himself down and to test the Father's goodness. He had challenged it when he was in the wilderness to the house come you're not eating, basically. And now he's like, the Father's good, you're right. Go ahead and show me and everybody else how good he is and make him stay faithful to his word and throw yourself down to where he has to stop it from happening. Another statement I want you to remember. The enemy will follow us to church and his goal is to take our religion and make it about our exaltation in our glory rather than our humility and our sacrifice. That's the desire. A very public place, a place of worship, a place where Jesus could publicly show himself as the Messiah without the sacrifice. Isn't this the message of our enemy? Sure, have a religion, but deny the sacrifice. And you hear it in statements like this that were said to Jesus later when His flesh was afflicted again. Physician, heal thyself. Come off the cross of sacrifice. He saved others. He can't save Himself. All those temptations, all those tests about self. So have a form of religion, but deny the atonement that would actually set you free from your bondage. To us, church, the message is this. Be public with your faith by going to the temple. Be public with your faith by going to church. But cast yourself into selfishness and self-exaltation and everything else. Wasn't this the sin of Jesus' day? Wasn't this the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who sat there and Jesus said they go out and they make lengthy prayers in public? To gain the approval of others. Where he said, they go out and they give alms in public for people to see. And Jesus said, oh, but for you, don't, don't do that in public. You go into your prayer closet. Give in secret. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Do we see the difference here between a self-exalted uh, generation versus those which are following Christ? You see, we have an enemy, an adversary, that spoke lies to get people to the place that they were in that time, letting their religion be sufficient and not allowing the sacrifice of obedience to be found in their lives. And here's the bad part. Not only is this a temptation in the church world today where people get possessive about their pews, their uh, Sunday school classes, their places of authority, but the enemy allows Scripture to be twisted to back it up and to give them approval to do it. We just saw it happen. Satan said, go ahead. He's given his angels charge over you. Go ahead and do whatever you want. 
Hear what I'm saying. Go ahead and do whatever you want. You're saved. It's okay. You're saved. It's okay. Holiness doesn't matter. Go ahead and indulge yourself. God is a loving God. He's not going to condemn anybody for that. It sounds like the message of the Universalist Church, doesn't it? There's no hell. God's too good. He's too good for that. And he takes scriptures that are true and he twists scriptures and he puts them into a license for people to sin. This Messiah was the Messiah they were looking for. And this is the Messiah that our culture is looking for. Somebody glorious, somebody glamorous that's going to come in and and, and provide everything for them and do everything for them and not expect anything in return. And the enemy will work through the culture to press us to misinterpret Scripture and to believe the lies and so that we would look for a different Messiah and we would miss Jesus altogether. This culture that Jesus had walked into, this temple that He stood upon and, and prepared, that the enemy lied to Him, was a culture that he, the enemy had lied to just enough to prepare for this showing of Jesus Christ. You say, what are you talking about? Scripture, it's not too hard to look through and read what kind of a Messiah that the Jews were looking for, that Israel was looking for at the time. They were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for a political hero that would show up, save the day, free them from Roman rule, and set things straight and put things in order. They were not looking for a Messiah that was born as a baby and that would come and would die and be wounded and bruised and go to a cross and bleed for their sins and become a worthy sacrifice. They weren't looking for it. The enemy had prepared the culture ahead of time for the Messiah that they were looking for but Jesus said I'm going to be the Messiah that the Father said I'm going to be and I will lay my life down and I will become a sacrifice I will cast myself down at some point but not like this folks in all this that I'm saying right now our culture is receiving lies of the enemy to prepare them for the Messiah they're looking for his name is the Antichrist And they're using Scripture, and they're twisting Scripture, and they're giving approval for everything under the sun so that people can enjoy their lives, eat, drink, and be merry, and have their fake religion, and walk in and out of the doors, leaving unchanged every week, stuck in bondages, stuck in the same old uh, sexual sins, uh, abuses and alcoholism and drug addiction, and and abuse to spouses, uh, adulteries. You go down the list. People are walking in and out of churches and have rationalized in their mind that it's okay. Because they've taken Scripture and they've twisted it. People don't like a Jesus that actually has standards of holiness. They want one that's going to exalt himself to a high place, put on a show for them, and allow them to be captured by that way. That was the message of the enemy. The message was, go ahead, do it my way, show yourself to them, put on a show, show them a sign. But we already know that Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, look, there will be no sign given to a wicked and adulterous generation except the sign of Jonah. He twisted Scripture. And I'm going to say this before I move on. I need to hurry up. Well, let's just go on to the defense. Again, Jesus, being the Word of God, could have spoken anything He wanted, but instead spoke the written Word for our benefit. In our walk of holiness, church, we can't forget about the sufficiency of Scripture. 
It's capable of making us holy. If we have faith, if we believe, and if we obey what it says, it is written, do not tempt the Lord your God, he said. He wasn't saying, it's not, it's, it's not written uh, saying, don't tempt me. It was saying, don't tempt God. Don't throw this out here. here. Here's the thing. Both sides were using Scripture. And atheists and agnostics and people that don't want to believe in God from every other culture will tell you the biggest problem with the world today is religion. Why? This right here. Scripture being used, twisted, fighting, infighting, fighting between denominations, fighting between other religions. They will see religion as the biggest issue and the biggest problem in the world today. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did not find a superior Scripture to use against Satan to shut him up. Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. Satan twisted it, misinterpreted it, used it for his own reason, for his own purpose, and, and, and was going to try to destroy because of it. On this point, I will say this. I'll ask this question. Is it possible for a person to have Scripture-based thoughts, Scripture-based words, Scripture-based teaching, and still be full of the devil? Yes, it is. Why? Because they've twisted the truth. Listen, my friend, don't just believe everything you hear some preacher say. Don't you dare hear everything I say and go home and ignore it and not look it up and see if I'm telling you the truth. Don't you dare walk blindly behind some leader or else you'll be following a Jim Jones someday. Or you'll be following an Adolf Hitler someday. Or you'll be following a David Koresh or any others that have destroyed people's lives because they had taken a scripture out of the Word of God, twisted it, put in some kind of religion, and then with their charismatic behavior, proved to somebody that it might be true and come follow me and lead them to destruction. But they use scripture, Pastor Bob. I thought, I thought scripture won't return to itself void. That, 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 that scripture is taken out of context a lot. When it's talking about the Word of God there, it's talking about Jesus Christ. He came and He did and He did all He was going to do. Folks, the Word of God is going to fulfill everything true in a believer's life if you believe it and have faith. But if you take it and you take it out of context and you twist it and you try to make it fit your agenda and what you want to do, don't expect it to fulfill everything you want in your life. It must be obeyed. It must be interpreted. It must be true. Don't do a fleshly thing expecting a spiritual end. Don't sow to the wrong field. You say, what does this have to do with me? I'm going to have Devin come. We're going to close our service out real quick. You say, what does this have to do with me, Pastor Bob? I don't like this here because I like to walk down there. And I'm not getting back in the water. It's too cold. Well, the enemy's desire, folks, is for us to believe that because we show up at a church every once in a while, that we're void of temptation and we're void of falling, we're void of, of sinning against God. You're not. You are fully capable. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, every time you make a mistake that God removes your salvation. That's absolutely false. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you this. His grace way outweighs sin. Where sin did abound, grace abounded so much more according to Romans. Amen? We know that. God's grace is sufficient. It's big enough. It's good enough. And we also know that uh, he, the enemy knows that we're not going to intentionally deny the Father openly. So he wants to distort the purpose of our faith so that we will be unproductive. Wants us to compromise, wants us to lose focus, wants us to sow in the wrong field. It is the voice of the enemy that will cause us to assume that because Jesus saved us from our sins, that he will save us in our sins, and that we can maintain a life of sinfulness, and that there is no holiness expectation. Holiness teaching is not popular today. 
If it was, our church would be busting at the seams, which we're growing. That's the cool thing. I like that. Folks, holiness teaching is not what is growing huge churches all over America. There's lies that the enemy wants to tell you as long as you're baptized, as long as you're a member of the church, as long as you have professed faith, you, you, you get your get out of hell free pass, you know? Now just go ahead and live your life unaffected by, by your faith, your religion, your belief. Just go on about how you were and, and stay as busy as you can be. And when a person becomes zealous in religion, the enemy will take their momentum and press them toward legalism, bigotry, hatred, and all kinds of religious sins. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? How many, how many different groups have been established on religion and hatred? I mean, think of the KKK. Bigotry, hatred. We don't burn the cross. We light the cross because it's the light of the world. Punch you in the face, man. What is up with that? Listen, there are all kinds of groups that will take Scripture and, and, and allow the enemy to push their religious beliefs into some, something that's totally unproductive and full of sin. He wants to distract us from the mission of God and the doctrine of God. And you say, Pastor, I don't get it. What are you saying? What I'm saying is, church, is, is, is this is a test of integrity. It's a test of integrity. Private integrity last week, public integrity this time. At some point, it's all got to be the same. Amen? At some point through maturity, we've got to be the same people all times and all places. And you say, what's the big deal? I'll give you one name and we'll close. Samson. Samson was a man prophesied about God. Did anybody have an angel show up? I mean, other than me. Anybody have an angel show up at the birth? Just kidding. Show up and tell your mom and dad that you're being born. That's a pretty cool thing. Mamas and daddies love to have big dreams for their kids, but when an angel comes in and actually tells you the dream you can have, that's pretty cool. And this is what he said to, to Samson's mom in Judges 13, 4 and 5. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I would say that's a pretty cool calling, wouldn't you? Boy, growing up from the time he's a little bitty kid, God has called you. He set you apart. You are a Nazarite. You are established of God. Bless God. You feel that mom and daddy speaking over him. You are going to deliver us from the Philistines. You know what the Philistines means? It actually means people that are fleshly, people that are full of selfish desires. Look it up sometime. Kind of neat. You're going to deliver us from that. So he grows up, but he had a few problems. He kept... His calling, his religion, let's call his calling his religion. He kept his faith separate from his personal life. And he believed that as long as God's spirit was still working through him and he had great strength, that everything he did, God approved of. Do you hear the lie of the enemy in that? And so what did he do? Well, the first thing he did is he didn't honor his mother and father. He said, Mom and Dad, I want that Philistine woman. And they said, Samuel, uh, Samson, what, why... Would you want her? Why don't you do what God's law says and actually take one from our own people and not intermarry? He said, that's the one for me. Go take her and get her for me. Didn't honor his mother and father, did he? Had a lust for women, two or three. 
started him down a long path. He was still doing great exploits for God, but most of those were fueled by anger and rage and revenge instead of by God's leading. Pursued these women, ended up in a prostitute's home, spending nights with prostitutes, and acted like, well, if I can walk out and rip the city gates off and put them on my shoulders and walk up to the top of a hill and throw them down, maybe at least that'll still make things okay. Or maybe if I'm still having an adulterous affair and I go teach my Sunday school class, or I keep going to church, or I go preach in the pulpit or whatever it may be, that means it's okay. Maybe if I'm addicted to this, or I'm addicted to that, or I continue to be angry at my wife and I hit my wife, or I hit my kids, or I do this kind of stuff, and I just keep going to church it's okay ultimately at some point something's going to catch up and Samson had caught up in a woman by the name of Delilah and because of his lust and his desires he believed that he just was okay I could do whatever I'm the chosen one I'm this I'm that I'm, I'm set free until obviously we know the story he gives away his secret of his strength his great strength and his Nazarite vow she shaves his head Judges 16, 20, 21. Then, then he, she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. He sowed to his flesh, reaped destruction. You say, but Pastor Bob, wait, his hair grew and he got me. I know, I know that part. But wow, how great could he have been if he would have avoided that? Amen? Last scripture. You say, so what do I do? 1 Timothy 1, 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Just like Samson. The prophecies that were made about him. The things that were foretold about you. The things that were spoken into your life. So that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. A good conscience. That which Samson did not have. Fight the fight of faith. Is it hard sometimes to resist temptation? Yes. Fight the good fight of faith, of maintaining a conscience. Holiness teaching isn't popular, but I'm telling you what, folks, the peace of a conscience is an amazing thing. You see, because if we don't, go on, some have rejected these. They've rejected what? They've rejected fighting and holding on to the faith and having a good conscience. They've fought. They've resisted integrity. They've rejected integrity. They believed a lie. And so they have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Those are real people, my friends. Those are people that everybody knew. And Paul said, I've given them over to Satan. In other words, allowing them to get to a place so low that they'll repent. This morning, the message is this. Don't allow the enemy to tempt you to fall into some kind of a religious thing. Pursue Christ. Humble yourself. Don't get so your head swelled up and overexalted about things. Humble yourself. And as you humble yourself, God will lift you up. Stand with me this morning.